And if you want to do that, that's ages first to uh, ages fourth to first grade. But before you go, before you go, I want to encourage you, parents. You may want to have your kids stick around for the baptism. So you can make that choice. But this is a very cool moment, and it's an opportunity to see God at work in the hearts of, of young ones. So, but if you want to go to Children's Church, you can head out this north door. Oh, Mrs. Stafford. That's ages four through first grade. You can head out that door. Before I get into today's message, uh, this last week I had the chance to be at the Brian Convention, which is in Broken Bow, which this week was in Broken Bow, Nebraska. And it is cowboy as it gets. Um, my daughters went and said, man, people still really wear those hats? And I said, yeah, they do. But it was awesome. It was great to connect with our, our Brian family. And, uh, you know, God is doing an amazing work. Uh, Broken Bow just built a new facility that's about actually a third bigger than our building here. So it's very cool reaching out to that rural community and uh, bringing the gospel to them. And we got to hear what God was doing in the fellowship. And you'll hear more about that. But guess what? Next year, the convention is going to be right here in Rochester, Minnesota. And it's going to be an awesome time to, to celebrate what God is doing and to connect with, with what just seems like, uh, um, you know, states away, because it is, but it'll be fantastic. So that's going to be July 22nd through the 25th, I believe. If I'm wrong, we'll get out the right information. But I want you to even now be thinking about being here, because it'll be a great chance to connect uh, with the fellowship and to be a host to them. So be thinking about that. So speaking about being part of something, have you ever felt excluded? Have you ever felt like you somehow didn't fit in, or somehow you didn't get the memo, and people were not including you. That can be quite hurtful, can it? And people who are sinful, people who are fallen, people who are even forgetful, will do that to us sometimes. But our God does not. Our God, who in His very nature exists in community, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, He is an inclusive God and wants to draw men and women who are made in His image, who are separated from Him by their sin. He wants to draw them to Himself. And He goes to great lengths to do so. We've been talking about our God who is a missionary God. A God who is on a mission to draw us to Himself. Especially with our efforts that we've put forth uh, very practically with our team that went to Angola. With Prem Gideon in New Delhi, with the Anurag Society, reaching out to orphans and, and the less fortunate. Trying to share with them the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ in the place of darkness. And if you were with us last week, we commissioned Emily Sorensen to go to the Middle East and met Casey Baumgardner, who's going to be going to the Middle East. And we've looked at God as one who has a mission. First of all, the, the seed of missions, if you will, where God called a man named Abram. So says, Abram, I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your home country. I want you to leave everything that's familiar to you. And I'm going to, I'm going to take you to a place that I'm going to show you. 
and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make your descendants a great nation. And I, through your seed, am going to bless all nations. And that blessing comes in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is a blood relative of Abraham, heir to the throne of David. In the following week, we looked at the God who sends himself. Jesus Christ did put on flesh, came and dwelt among us. The one who was full of truth and full of grace. Last week, as we were commissioning Casey, and excuse me, Emily and Casey, we looked at the God who saves his enemies in Psalm 87. An interesting psalm. And it talks about Zion as a, a place where God dwells. And then he lists off all these peoples that were enemies of God's people. And yet of them he says, this one, and this one, and this one were born in Zion. I am counting them among my people. God has a plan to make even his enemies his own people. God has gone to great lengths to restore relationship with us, to make us his children. And today, today's passage, and you want to crack your Bible open to Acts chapter 8, we're going to look at the God, the God who pursues us. The God who pursues us. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Acts 8, verses 26 through 40. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. And we're going to read about a man who God pursues. Okay, we're going to pick up at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out on his way and met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, who was the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. 
Philip, however, appeared at Ezotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get into God's word today. Lord Jesus, this is a grace-filled account. And I thank you for how you sent your servant Philip to reach this man, a man who was looking for you. Would you open our eyes to the great lengths you have gone to, to draw us to yourself? Would you help us to see what you have for us today? And would you help us to rejoice in what you're doing in the lives of men and women? And Lord, I pray that if there's someone who needs to respond to you, Lord Jesus, in putting their faith in you today, would you do so? Would you help us to receive what you have for us and obey you? So Lord Jesus, it's in your precious name I pray these things. Amen. Well, we have the privilege of going through the account of the Acts of the Holy Spirit a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago. And I actually didn't get to preach this passage. Jim Cluth stepped in for me. So I, I get to kind of come around and do it my way, if you will. It's all good, Jim. It's all good. But as you know, the theme of Acts happens in verse uh, 8 of chapter 1. And this is Jesus as he leaves the earth. And he gives his famous last words to his, his disciples, his mission. He says to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so they wait and they pray and the Holy Spirit comes in chapter 2. And it's amazing because people start hearing the Word of God in their own language. And the gospel spreads and thousands of people in Jerusalem put their faith in Jesus Christ. And the gospel spreads and it goes throughout Judea. They are doing a great job of being witnesses for Jesus in Jerusalem and Judea. But not so good in Samaria, which in their mind are kind of half-breeds, heretics, and to the ends of the earth where those Gentiles are, the unclean. And so God allows persecution to come. One of the most godly men in the early church, a man named Stephen, who was one of the first deacons, he preaches a very eloquent sermon. And he's stoned to death. And persecution comes and the church spreads. It leaves. It has to scatter. They have to get out of town. And one of the deacons is a man named Philip. And Philip goes up to Samaria. And he just says, well, that's what Jesus said, so I'm going to tell these people about Jesus. I'm going to tell them about what he's done. And along the way, God gives him the grace to perform miracles. People get healed. Demons are cast out. And people put their faith in Jesus. Well, we, we need to make sure this is okay. So Peter and John, the apostles, come up to make sure that this checks out. And it does. 
These people received the Holy Spirit. And the gospel is spreading to Samaria. He used Philip, a willing servant, to spread the gospel to people considered half-breeds and heretics. And they get saved. They become part of the kingdom of God. Indeed, God is taking these disciples beyond their comfort zone. But God is at work spreading His good news, drawing men and women to Himself. Now God has another mission for Philip. Again, Acts is not so much Acts of the Apostles, but Acts of the Holy Spirit, because God is doing this. So as He gives them this new assignment, look at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out on his way and met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Number one, God sends. He sends a willing servant. A willing servant. First of all, I want you to notice this. When the angel comes to him, he says, go. Go south to the road in Gaza. And that's all he's told. He's told where, but he's not told what. He's just told, go. And Philip trusts that God is going to show him along the way. It kind of reminds me again of the call of Abraham. Go to a land that I am going to show you. But it comes, obviously, in our, our narrative, that it becomes quite apparent he's there to minister to this Ethiopian eunuch. But you have to understand the trek from Jerusalem, which where we think Philip was at the moment, down to Gaza is a 60-mile trek. You know, we don't get the, what does God have in mind for me along the way? So often, when we're, spent, we're responding to the call of God, He kind of talks to us on a need-to-know a need basis. He just says, go. I want you to do this. Speak. And then trust me, for I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you to where you need to be. So often we want the whole plan. We want it all laid out for us. And and it's okay to plan. It's all right to plan. But we need to trust that God may change those plans. May do something different than what we had in mind. You know, if you read the epistle to the Romans, Paul has plans to go to Rome. He has plans. It doesn't pan out how we thought it would pan out, though. It's much different. He gets there, but it's a much different route and in a much different way. And even our sister Emily, who's going to be going, who's leaving town this week, I'm going to tell you, not everything is all I's dotted and T's crossed. She's trusting that God will meet her every step of the way. When God calls us, are we willing to trust Him to meet us for what He's not shown us? But we need to obey. Because he's called. And again, God is at work here. God is pursuing an eager seeker. Look at verse 27. Again, Philip started out and on his way and he met this Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Candace, a queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Now you have to understand, Ethiopia is not the country we we know of now. Ethiopia is all 
of northeast Africa. Its capital was a place called Moroa, which is now in contemporary Sudan. It's, it's, it's south of Egypt. But this, in the Jews' mind, was the ends of the earth. There are these, these Ethiopians, these Cushites, if you will. But that's, this is where civilization ends. and We don't know what's beyond there. It is the wild frontier. But Israel has a history of being connected with these people. The Queen of Sheba came to see the, the glory and the fame of Israel in Solomon. And in that time as she visited, she was exposed to the living God, Yahweh. And she took that faith back there. And so this man is kind of a descendant of that, that faith seed that was planted years and years ago. He is a high-ranking official in the court of Candace. And Candace is not a name. Candace is a title. The queen of Ethiopia was called Candace. It's like Pharaoh or Caesar. This man came seeking the Lord God to worship him, to come back to the source, if you will. And he came a long way and at great expense, asking the question, how do I rightly worship the living God? The problem is he's got two strikes against him. First of all, he is Ethiopian. He is a Gentile. He's not part of the commonwealth of Israel. He probably got treated well because he was a high-ranking official, but he was not considered part of the people of God per se. And yet last week we read in chapter uh, 87 of the Psalms, verse 4, that God is going to say of certain Cushites, this one was born in Zion. And in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 10 uh, and 11, that God is going to bring a remnant from the land of Cush. The other strike against him is he was a eunuch. He was castrated. Castrated to come and serve safely the Candace of Ethiopia. He had access to the queen, but according to the law, he couldn't have access to the assembly of God. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, it says, No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. He couldn't even become a Jewish proselyte, if you will, which is a Gentile who started to become a Jew. All he could become is a God worshiper. The farthest he could go in Jerusalem was probably the court of the Gentiles. But in the mind of the Jews, he was probably a second or third class of second or third class spiritual standing. But you know what? That didn't deter him. He wanted to come close to God, as close as possible. This is perhaps the heart that God is talking about in Jeremiah 29, 13, that you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. And again, we find that he was reading on the way home the book of Isaiah. We break it down into 66 chapters. But there's a promise for eunuchs in Isaiah. Did you know that? In chapter 56, verses 3-5, through he says, Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me, and hold fast to my covenant, 
To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial, a name better than the sons and the daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. You know, castration is not very popular in our society right now, right? But here's my point. God is reaching out to those who are oftentimes excluded. And this eunuch is pursuing God. He is pursuing God, and now God pursues him as he's leaving Jerusalem. The best he got was probably the law, and he's got this copy of the book of Isaiah. Maybe he heard about that promise, and maybe that's what he was looking at. But God sends his willing servant Philip after him. And the Spirit of the Lord says to Philip in verse 29, Go that chariot and stay near. And so, even more so, God reveals himself to in what I call a pregnant passage. A pregnant passage. Pick it up at verse 30. Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the passage of the scripture that the eunuch was reading was, He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a lamb before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? i got to tell you, folks, this is an evangelist's dream. Maybe it's not apparent to you, but what are the chances? Out of 66 chapters in Isaiah, he's at chapter 53. Which is God's promise to send his suffering servant. Nobody knows who this suffering servant is. And this man is asking, who is this? This is not by chance, folks. It is God's divine hand with God's divine timing. He's walking up as he's reading this passage. And in verse you know, 7, this is, well, actually, he's quoting Isaiah chapter verses uh, 6, Seven and eight, excuse me. He talks about how he's led like a, a sheep to the slaughter. He's talking about Jesus' suffering and crucifixion and his humiliation, how he's deprived of justice. He has no descendants because his life was taken from him on the earth. And what happens? He says, Who is this? And it says in verse 33, then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. This whole chapter is about Jesus. If you've not read it, get a copy of God's Word. I'll give you one. And read chapter 53. Because it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The reason that this eunuch couldn't recognize Him is because God took 740 years to bring it to pass. It just happened in the last few years in the person of Jesus Christ. One who would suffer, whose life would be taken from him. And he would suffer for our sins. Here's the sample size of this passage, right? Isaiah 53, verses 4-6. through six. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. 
He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity, the sins of us all. And then in the same, in the same chapter, verses 10 through 11, it talks about him rising from the dead. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And through, and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, listen to this, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And he, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Philip shows us in God's word, this is the promise of the gospel. This is the good news that this Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that he was rejected by men, that he was pierced by nails, by a spear, by thorns in his head, considered cursed by the religious experts of the time. He hung on the cross for our iniquities. He suffered and died, and God raises him from the dead to justify many. Justify. That means to have right standing before a holy God. He does it because he took upon himself our sins. And who does he justify? He justifies those who believe in him, who put their trust in him, who put their faith in him, that he made a way in his death, life, death, and resurrection. It's not by being good or even trying to follow the law. Because we can't. We can't keep God standing. We can't do it. That's the good news. That's the bad news before the good news. We can't, but He did. In my devotions, I'm going through the book of Romans again, and I, I'm just struck by the words of chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. It's a verse we often memorize, especially in Awana. It says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of this good news about Jesus Christ. Because it is the power of God for salvation for those who believe. God's power for salvation for those who believe. First to the Jew, yeah. And then to the Gentile. And then in verse 17, the next verse he says, For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that's going to give, give it to us. And it says, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. For it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Do you get what it means? It says from first to last. It starts with faith. And it will end with faith in what Jesus has done. And Philip gets to share this gospel with this man from God's 
Old Testament, Old Covenant word, what God promised him. Out there in the middle of the desert, God sends his servant. And along the way, Philip must also share that along the way, the way that Jesus asks us to identify with him is through baptism. As Jesus, we have the, the classic Great Commission in Matthew 28:19, Go and make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is an identification with his death as you go under the water and his resurrection. This is how Jesus calls us to identify with him. So they're out there in the middle of the desert. This man had heard the good news. God had pursued him. He believes in faith. And now God presents an opportunity for obedience. Look at verse 36. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of being, of my being baptized? You gotta love this man's heart. Look, I'm heading back to my home country. And now God has met me. I wanna be God's man in Candace's court. I wanna be his disciple there. And this is how Jesus has called me to obey him. Look, we're out in the middle of the desert and yet God has provided some water. What's preventing me from obeying? What's preventing me from being baptized? From identifying with Jesus' death? And res- resurrection. And Philip recognizes his real faith response. And so in verse 38 it says, And he gave orders to stop the chariot, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. But then you got this curious ending. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared in Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. You know, I'm going to let you go home and wrestle with how the Holy Spirit moved into Azotus. I don't know. It just doesn't happen. But really what I want to focus on is the response of the eunuch. The response of the eunuch. He says, the eunuch did not see him again. It says in verse 39, but he went on his way rejoicing. Rejoicing because I'm no longer excluded from the children of God. I am now part of his people. I am not excluded from access to him because now I have met the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through him. I have a righteousness from God, not of my own doing. And church tradition tells us this man's name was Simon and he returned to Africa and he preached the gospel. And he preached the gospel. Today we are going to see some people celebrate their following the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to do so in baptism, identifying with his death and resurrection. They're not doing so to be saved. They're doing so because they are saved. And they want to do so because God has pursued them. But as I finish up here, I just want to address two people that might be in our audience. 
Number one, I want to address you if you've not put your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're asking the question, what does it mean? Have I put my faith in Jesus Christ? I'm just going to ask you this little litmus test, if you will. If you were to die today and stand before the living God and ask, and he would ask, why should I let you into my heaven? And if your answer is anything other than because of what Jesus has done in dying for me and rising from the dead, if you're putting your faith and your trust in anything else, because I've gone to church, I've given to the church, I've done good deeds, I'm a pretty good guy, a pretty good gal, I'm going to tell you, you're not putting your faith in Jesus Christ. You're putting it in something else. But God doesn't want to exclude you. He doesn't want to exclude you. He sent His Son. Classic verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever should believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And in that same Gospel earlier, He talks about to as He talks about how to as many as received Him, to those who believed in His name, to them He gave the right to become the children of God. Would you today respond to that gift? Respond to that calling? Putting your faith in what Jesus has done. It is humbling because it means we have sinned against the Holy God. It is humbling. It means we have nothing to contribute. But it is also something rejoicing in because it's what God has done for us. It is His amazing love. Second person I want to address in this audience today, and I want to be very kind and very soft on this, in the sense that I don't want to manipulate or guilt anyone into this. But if you're here today and you, you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, but you've never followed Him in water baptism, I want to give you the opportunity to do that today. We've got six candidates we're going to hear from. We're going to hear their story, and then they're going to be baptized. But if during this time, you feel like that should be me, I should be responding to Jesus. Because it's how he calls me to identify with him. We've got extra clothes in the back. Dark shorts and t-shirt. We've got extra towels. If the Holy Spirit should put on your heart, today is the day I want to respond. To identify publicly with Jesus Christ. To say, I am following him. Go see one of our elders. Pete's back there already. You can talk with him. There'll be some other elders available. And they want to confirm your profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Again, you're being baptized not to be saved, but because you are saved. And want to show that you're following him. But I want to give you the opportunity. We're going to be baptizing six people. We'll be singing a couple songs after that. But if in that time you sense the Holy Spirit is calling you to do this, go see one of our elders. And we'd love to rejoice with you. And I want to say this. There is no embarrassment in this. You may be going, man, I should have done this years ago. Okay, so what? The kingdom of God is one that is received by grace. And so let grace abound. And we'll rejoice with you. We won't be going, well, it's about time. That's not going to be a heart. It's going to be a heart of saying, praise the Lord. The Lord God is doing. And I want to say this very kindly, and if you're not here, I understand this, but if you've been baptized as a baby, I want to tell you, that was your parents' choice. Jesus asked us to identify with him in our own choice. And in getting baptized, you're not, you're not marring what your parents intended. In fact, it's probably what they intended 
for you, that you would make your faith your own, and that you would declare your, your faith publicly. So if, if that is how God is moving your heart, I encourage you to obey that. It's never wrong to obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit. But we're going to get started. So let me pray for us, and then we'll start with our baptisms. Lord, we're grateful for your pursuing love, and we rejoice in what you're doing in these candidates today. Lord, if somebody needs to respond to you and putting their faith in you for the very first time, and if that's you in this audience, I just want you to pray with me in your own heart. My words aren't magic, but they're the response of a sincere heart. Lord Jesus, I know that I've sinned against you. Holy God, who I cannot please in my own flesh. But Jesus, I thank you for coming for me for living the life I could not live, a perfect life, for dying the death I could not, for debt I cannot pay. That is for my soul. And then giving me life that I don't have in myself. And Lord Jesus, I confess you now in my heart. I believe in you and I trust in you. Come into my life. Come into my heart. And give me the life I don't have in myself. And I rejoice because you're coming into my life. I trust you by faith. I trust you in your word. Whoever believes in you should not perish but have everlasting life. And for that person who needs to respond to you, who has already put your faith, their faith in you, but needs to respond in obedience and baptism today, I pray you'll give him her grace to do so. Lord Jesus, in your precious name, I pray these things. Amen. Let's go ahead and see.